0: Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we're in the middle of the parshas of Yitzias Mitzrayim. And one question that has to be asked when we learn, as we march through these parshas, about Am Yisrael going into Mitzrayim, coming out of Mitzrayim, why is it that we have such a tremendous obligation from the Torah to remember Yitzias Mitzrayim? It's a question the Salonim Rebbe asks in the Nesiva Shalem basics of Yetzirah Mitzrayim, it doesn't look like any normal Jew would forget. If I gave a pop quiz, right, where did God take us out from before we went to Har Sinai? Mitzrayim. Who did God take out of Mitzrayim? Us. Who took us out of Mitzrayim? God. We'd all get a hundred. right? So so there has to be more to Zechel Yetzirah Mitzrayim that's there in the fact that we must remember it two times a day. The mitzvahs of Pesach, every Kiddush we make, we're saying Zechel Yetzirah Mitzrayim. What are we supposed to learn? The variety of tracks and things that we learn from. I've been learning with Rabbi Hirschfeld here in the morning a bit, a very fascinating sefer based on shurim that Rav Moshe Shapira Zatzal gave, where he shows that the source of the Yud Gimel Ikrim, the Rambam's 13 fundamentals of Emuna, all come from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim that is so to speak the calling card with HaKadosh Baruch who introduced himself in the first of the Aser <speaking in> Sadibros <Hebrew> I am Hashem who took you out of Mitzrayim meaning who do we believe in? what do we believe in? what are the Ikarim? what are the pillars of our munah says examine Yitzis Mitzrayim it has all been revealed there, and he shows the roots of all of the Rambam zikorim from what we see in Yitzias Mitzrayim. The famous Ramban at the end of Pesach's book explains that the nisim of Yitzias Mitzrayim, the makos, the plagues, were not there simply for Hakadosh Hu to show, "Look what I can do," but each one came to show something distinct about Hakadosh Baruch Hu's relation with the world, and to somehow destroy a misunderstanding of the world that can come from the world of Avodah Zorah or other mistaken understandings of the world. So there are many, many things that we learn from this world of Yetzirah Mitzrayim that we go through in such detail in these parashas. Another track is what you find in Sifrei Hasidus a lot, is that all of us go through the process of going into Mitzrayim and coming out of Mitzrayim constantly. Not just in... Sifri Hasirus and all Sifri Hasidus, all sorts of sifri about the name of the Gru as well. That a person goes into Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is the idea of mitzarim, narrow places, places that are dark, into personal gullus, <coughs> go into national gullus, and we have to find the ways to get out of there to know how a Hu can and will take us out and the truths of our personal struggles can also be learned in examining what's happening in Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Because the story of Yetzirah Mitzrayim is twofold. People make the mistake when they look at Yetzirah Mitzrayim superficially, as many Jews do when they sit down to their Passover Seder, they think that it was simply an early civil rights movement, that it was giving better working conditions to the abused immigrant laborers of egypt right and that's not so as ramban points out in his introduction to Sefer shmos if that were true so then we would be celebrating Yetzias mitzrayim and the Geulah of amisro from mitzrayim so to speak the moment they passed the sign that said leaving egypt city limits come back again soon right and everybody was able to high five and say that's it we're out of egypt in reality, Sefer Shmos, which Ramban describes as that book of Geulah, continues on all the way to Harsinai and to the building of the Mishkan and to the Shechina, to the Divine Presence appearing in the Mishkan at the end of Parsha's Pekudei. only then are they called Geulim. Only then are they called redeemed. Because the story of Yetzias Mitzrayim is the story of Kedusha, of Yaakov, Avinu and his descendants, going into the world of Tumah, going into the world of all that is negative, all that is opposite. You see in the Sfarim, that's how they explain the concept of Paro, the concept of Mitzrayim, all that is opposite, everything we stand for, and going there and losing our identity. Losing our identity to the extent that we almost have no existence, physically, totally ruled over by others, spiritually, descending into what's referred to in the Srim as the Memtesh Share Sharet Tuma, to the 49th gate of Tuma, to the lowest point the person can go spiritually and still exist. The Medrash describes Mene Yisrael and Mitzrayim as uber Bim b'hemo, as an embryo in the womb of an animal, meaning that we had no existence of our own. We're entirely enveloped in Mitzrayim. That's ground zero of the Jewish people. And the fact that we started that way, and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out, teaches us some very, very important things that every Jew needs to know every day. And that's what we're going to try to look at today in the light of the Swasemus. Swasemus explains that we see is a turnaround that happens in Mitzrayim, all different lashonos of Tefillah, Right, that Amiso cried out, Vayonhu they sighed, right, they cried out, they heard their, their yells, their cries, right? Different things that the Mafarshiya Tvila explained, these different words and modes of Tvila. And then this mysterious Pasuk says, Vayar Elokim, so Vayeda Hashem saw them and he knew. And the question is, what did he see and what did he know? So the Medrash says that he saw that Pnei Yisrael were doing tshuva. Why does it say then, Vayeda Elohim, Hashem knew, to teach us a diuk, right? A diuk means Hashem knew, but nobody else knew. Each person had a tshuva process starting inside of themselves, but no one knew about the other's tshuva process. They could be working away in their slavery, and one person, something was happening inside, these cries that are described weren't things that were verbalized. They weren't things that were formed, but something that was happening deep inside of the Jew. And this brought about the activation of the bris, of the ovos, of the promise that Am Yisrael would leave Mitzrayim and they will leave with tremendous possessions, power, spiritual strength that would come out of it. Now, that Midrash which says no Jew knew about each other's process is taken a step further by the Tsefasimus. The Tsefasimus says, that you can say that take the Diuk all the way. No lo that the Jew himself who was beginning some process of Tshuva didn't even know it himself. He didn't know what was happening inside of himself. Because there's a concept of what's called There are thoughts that are unformed. There are thoughts that are there inside of ourselves. They're real, but they haven't yet taken a form that we can consciously identify them and know what they are. We're familiar with this. We know that there can be things inside of ourselves, yearnings, fears, hopes, different things that we don't really know what they're referring to. What they're connected to, we can't define them yet, we can't work with them yet, but they're real. Who does know what those knots are? That's a Kodesh Baruch Hu. HaYed <laughs> knows this because those things are real and they're true, deep inside the soul of Bnei Yisrael. Because there are certain truths about the Jewish soul that are there. They can be covered, they can be latent, but they're always there. And a Kodesh Baruch Hu knows and sees them. The Medrash, interestingly, connects this idea of the awakening thoughts of Tshuva deep inside the hearts of Bnei israel to a Pesach in Shira that has to do with nature. It's very important, while you're in Eretz Yisrael, for some people it will be the first time you're in Israel for the springtime, to look at what's happening in nature. The linchpin of the Jewish calendar is that Pesach must be in the springtime. Chodesh Aviv. That's why we have leap years that correct our calendar, if not the lunar calendar would drift in the seasons, and you would have Pesach sometimes in the summer, sometimes the fall, sometimes the winter. Pesach must be in Chodesh Aviv. That's not just the technicality. That means that there's something that we have to learn, there's something that has to go in sync with what happens in the agricultural events in Eretz Yisrael, in nature, in the springtime, that's important for Pesach. And you have to keep your eyes open to what's happening in nature to understand. So when we look at Shir Hashirim, which Chazal explained in the Medrash is a parable for the entire Yitzit Mitzrayim process, as Rashi follows that track in explaining Shir Hashirim. and you should really walk around Eretz Yisrael in the springtime with your Rashi on Shir Hashirim and look at what's happening. And one of the Psukim says, ha no fageho That the fig tree has put out It's baby figs, okay? Now, fig trees, and we have a big one out in the yard. You can study it and learn about it. Fig trees put out their fruit in a different way than other trees, right? Instead of having the leaves and the flowers that make the blossom and then the fruit, the fruit on the fig tree actually comes out on the limbs. The figs come out on the limbs of the tree, and they come out first as these little bumps that develop on the tree. That's what's called a pug, a pug, an immature fig. Interestingly, in modern Hebrew, they chose to use that word for premature babies, right? A premature baby is called a pag, and the neonatal intensive care unit is called the pagia, right? Where the little unripe figs are developing, right? That's uh, what they use, okay? Now, that fig has everything in it that is to be a fig, but a person unfamiliar with it doesn't know, looking at it, what it is. That's what the Medrash says was happening deep in the hearts of B'nei Yisrael. Something was there, something real, something authentic, something with had in it all of the contents, but couldn't be identified yet. That is HaTe'ina Chanta Fageha. But those things are real, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw it. And this is the power of the Jewish soul. The Jewish soul has in it certain realities. It's Mitzrayim, and we have to realize that Am Yisrael going into Mitzrayim was not, so to speak, a punitive right, golos, or even, again, the punishment of HaKadosh Baruch so to speak, is never revenge. It's tikkun, it's repair. But here this was something that was prophesied to Avraham Avinu as part of the formation of Am Yisrael. <speaking in> he <Hebrew> said, your children, the chosen people, are going to have to go through that Mitzrayim experience. And part of what we're supposed to learn from there is what is ground zero of a Jew? What is a Jew when he has nothing Physically and spiritually, when he's at the bottom level, is there anything there? Yes. That's what we discover here. And that's what our Kodesh Baruch Hu sees, because the Jewish soul has a certain baseline. There's a black box inside all of us, like that black box in the airplane, that no matter what happens to the airplane, that black box survives. The nekuda panimis, that point inside the Jewish soul, that point of purity, that point of connection to where he comes from, is never corrupted Nothing ever happens to it. It's there and it's alive and it's activated. It may be covered over, it may be hidden, but it's there inside of every Jew. And that's what we have to see in looking at this process in Yitzhi Yitzhi Mitzrayim. That even though it was covered over, and the Svazemes brings an interesting post from from Yeshayo, kiachoshechichas Eretz, the darkness covers the land. You can imagine if you're someplace very, very dark, you can't see anything. But a person of understanding knows that doesn't mean that nothing's there. Things are there, you just can't see them. That's the truth of the Jewish soul. Therefore, he says interestingly, Lohikir Moshe Rabbeinu Olav Ma'amotam. Even Moshe Rabbeinu did not understand the level of B'nai Yisrael, because when Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu to take them out, he kind of said, them? He asked, right as Rashi explains, with what merit can they come out of Mitzrayim? What merit do they have to turn over nature, to reverse everything, to be able to come out? Now, I'll point out just from another piece in the Sfas Emes in a future year, he, he wants us to understand Moshe Rabbeinu was not coming to work against Bnei Yisrael. Says when we look at Moshe Rabbeinu in these parshas, we start to think, wait a second, is this the Moshe Rabbeinu we know in the future who always plays defense for Am Yisrael? Right? We mess up. Akhar who says they're in trouble. Moshe Rabbeinu always defends. And here Akhar is saying, take him out of Mitzrayim, and Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, nah, not me. And them, what merit do they have? Right? Why is why is he doing that? So he explains. There are a few different explanations. One explanation is that he wanted HaKadosh Baruch Hu to, so to speak, verbalize the zechus of B'nai Yisrael, that it should come out into the world. Other explanations I saw is that Moshe Rabbeinu knew that Yetzias Mitzrayim was really a formative golos and ge'ula that would be necessary for the eventual future ge'ula of B'nai Yisrael and he wanted it to be set up even for the furthest generations when he's told HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they won't believe me why was he saying that? Because he saw in the future there would be generations of Bnei Yisrael who won't believe, and he wanted the Gula to apply to them as well. So many different reasons why Moshe Rabbeinu was not coming to put down Bnei Yisrael. Zosemes also says that what Moshe Rabbeinu saw, he says things, things aren't ready. We don't have the things in place. I'm not ready to be the goel. They're not ready, right, to do the spiritual things that are being described. So the told them the following. It says, When you take them out of Egypt, they are going to serve me on this mountain, meaning they are going to receive the Torah on Har Sinai. They are going to do the most significant spiritual action since the creation of the world. They are going to say, all of them, and receive the Torah. Them, within 49 days... 49 days that correspond to those 49 gates of Tumah that they're in, they're going to come out of them in that period of Svirah Saomer, and they're going to receive the Torah. And this is a simon, he said, this is a sign, right? That Bnei Yisrael, Libam Shel Bnei Yisrael tov, Omek Libam Shel Bnei Yisrael atov. The depth of the Jewish heart is good. He says, you don't see it now because they're in Mitzrayim. They're covered over. They've become absorbed in Mitzrayim. But the truth of who they are nonetheless is there. And therefore, he says, Tira, you will see Miyaji Immediately when they come out of Egypt, you'll see who these people really are. So, therefore, this shows us this amazing truth. The expression is you know, people say you can take the boy out of Egypt, but you can't take the Egypt out of the boy. Right? It's applied in many different ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be Egypt, it could be New York, Las Vegas, whoever it is you're taking somebody out of. But we say that's not true. If you take the Jew out of Egypt, you do take the Egypt out of the Jew, because the Egypt is not authentic to the Jew. That's not who we are. We sometimes think that the world is a battle between the power of good and evil, and we are parav. We are neutral. And if the forces of good win, will be good. And if the forces of evil win, will be evil. It's not true. It's not evenly matched. The Jew is in his essence good. Omek libom latov. The depth of the Jewish heart is good. That can be covered over by forces that oppose us. But it can never be quenched, it can never be erased. And that's always there. And this has a variety of important applications. Application number one is that we have to know that about ourselves. We have to know that about ourselves, that no matter what we've done, to know that deep inside we are good, we want good, and we have the potential to do tremendous good. That's something that everyone needs to know about themselves. And the Eitzahar oftentimes tries to get us to forget that. Therefore, the Slonim the Rebbe says that's one of the things we have to remember with the Etzias Mitzrayim. Amisro were put into the stage where they would lower themselves to the Memtesh Shari and to show that you were able to come out of that and to merit the Nisim of Yetzias Mitzrayim and to receive the Torah. So, therefore, you've never gone too far and it's never too late. Every single Jew has to know that about themselves. Number two is the way in which you view another Jew. How do you identify this other Jew? So many times we identify another Jew as doing things wrong by the things that they do wrong. That's not an authentic identification. The first and foremost identity of the Jew is a Jew is a person who has a Jewish neshama, and that Jewish neshama deep inside wants to do and is capable of doing good. This is really the reality of our approach to any Jew. We're never approaching a Jew from nothing. There's always something there. They say that Rav Noach Weinberg, Zetzel, when he first came up with the idea of making a yeshiva for Jews who don't know Torah and don't keep mitzvahs, right? that first yeshiva I think was called Shema Yisrael, it was very short-lived. So he approached his rosh yeshiva in the mere yeshiva of B'lazer Finkel, and he said, this is my idea for a new kind of yeshiva for people who don't keep mitzvahs and don't know Torah. He said, what kind of yeshiva is that? <laughs> what, what, what is that? And he said, "But didn't Chazal teach us that deep inside B'nai Israel are Rutson Am Yisrael thirst to do what a Kodesh Baruch Hu want? Didn't Chazal say that deep inside every Jew they say We want to do what Hashem wants. the yeast in the dough, which is a reference to the Eitzahara, the shibud malchios, and all of the troubles." that come in the world of Golis and those troubles encompass everything that's bothering us, that's what causes us not to be living that way, but deep inside it's there. And that's the way a person has to know and see. And when you see a person that way, and you identify them that way, that helps them feel that way about themselves. The Rambam brings this famous explanation. There are certain times where this even applies in halacha. There are certain things which a person is obligated to do willingly. The Torah says you have to do this, and you have to do it willingly. And there are certain applications, it can be in the world of Karbonos, and in certain very limited applications in the world of Aget, where Chazal says, if the person doesn't want to do it, kofin osa you apply physical duress, you force him until he says he wants to. Now the Rambam addresses the obvious question about that, like, what kind of wanting is that? The guy comes into Bezdin and Bezdin says, Sir, you must do X. And you have to do it willingly. Do you want to do it? He says, no. Basin calls over a gentleman with a baseball bat, which he applies to the um, reluctant person. And we say, and now, sir, do you want to do what we tell you to do? He says, yes. Very good. Mazel tov. Right? We make a with him. And, and he does it. So the Rambam obviously senses our discomfort with that. What kind of wanting is that? He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to get hit by a baseball bat. So the Rambam says, no, that deep inside, we believe that the Jew wants to do what the Torah wants him to do. He's confused, and the baseball bat simply clarifies things for him. It helps him get in touch with his inner self, right? That's what's happening. And that's a real application in Allah. That's there in terms of of that reality. So therefore, it's important to know that that's in terms of everyone. And therefore, we'll see. I want to share with you two stories that I found very powerful about Tzadikim, who knew how to see this in Jews. And again, Jews sometimes from very extreme circumstances first one was a story about Rebbe of Bells. Rebbe of Bells was famous that he never liked to hear anything negative about any Jew. Not to hear and certainly not to say. They say the harshest thing Rebbe of Bells would let out of his mouth, if he saw a Jew doing terrible averas, he would see nebach, he would say, too bad that Jew doesn't know how to fight with the Yitzharah. That was as far as it would go. So this story I heard from the Tolna Rebbe, who heard from his father-in-law, Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Weisblum, who was a Rav in Haifa, in the Neveshanan neighborhood. So he said that there was a young man in Neveshanan who came from a very famous family in Bells. In Bells, there's a certain cadre of like Green Beret Hasidim who are called the Yoshvim of Bells. These would be chosen by the Bells of Rebbe to sit in the base Medrash and to learn and Davin and to be there for anything he needed. Those were the Yoshvim. So this young man's father was one of the Yoshevim of bells, and he went through the concentration camps as, as a boy, as a teenager, and when he came out, he wasn't keeping anything anymore. To the extent that he made a territory Yisrael and he was living in Haifa, that he operated a butcher store that sold treif meat. That was uh, the extent that it came to. And as revised boom said, he would talk to him sometime, and the boy actually remembered bells or negunim, that he would hunt for him, but that was where it was. So a baron of bells came to spend the Shabbos in Haifa, with his chassidim, and they're walking down the street, and one person, I was described in this story as uh, not a large chacham and not a small tipesh said to the Belzer Rebbe, Rebbe, you see that store? He said, yes. I said, do you know who owns that store? He said, no. They said, it's the son of the famous Hasid so-and-so. The Rebbe didn't react. The guy was kind of disappointed. He thought he would get some kind of reaction out of him. He said, uh, he thought maybe the Rebbe's not getting it. He said, Rebbe, you know what he sells in that store? So the Rebbe held up his hand. He said, kinder. He sells candies for Jewish children. So the guy said, No, Rebbe, he sells. The Rebbe stopped him. He said, Candies for Jewish children. What's being taught in that story? Belzer Rebbe was not dense. He was much smarter than that guy who was talking to him. He knew what was going on in the store. and what was going on with the person. But he was explaining, you don't say who the person really is. This selling of the tray for meat is not an expression of who this person is. Deep inside this person wanted to be selling pachkas candies for Jewish kids. The terrible suffering he went through, saw, twisted, corrupted, covered over, what you're seeing is not him. That's the way Tzadik sees the Jew. A similar story. I heard the official Shechter tell about the Babav Arabi, Bishlama of Babav. When he got out of after the war got out of Europe, so now Babov is very big. In those days it was very small. He came to the upper west side of Manhattan. He had a tiny shibble where he had a hard time getting a minion. So Friday afternoon, mincha time, he was out trying to gather a minion for his shul and asking me, Were you Jewish? This so there was a man, he saw, he said, Are you Jewish? The man answered him in Yiddish, or, yeah, he says, for whatever reason he asked him, you Shomash Shabbos? He says, back there I used to be shomer Shabbos. He said, and back, back there I used to be Chazen in the shul for Kabbalah Shabbos. So the Rebbe said, please, honor us. And the man was Chazen, sang Lechadodi, and he came back a few weeks and the Rebbe would give him to be Chazen, and then he disappeared. One Shabbos morning, the Rebbe asked his son, Rub Naftali, and another man who was with him, he says, where's that Jew? who would come and would be chazen for Gabal Shabbos. He said, we don't know. He said, go find him. He said, how are we going to find him in Manhattan? He said, he lives on the other side of Central Park someplace. Go find him. All right, we're talking with Hasidim though. So the Rebbe says, you do. So they went out, they're walking across Central Park, Shabbos afternoon, Shabbos morning, and lo and behold, there's the man sitting on a bench, reading a newspaper, smoking a cigarette so you don't know exactly what to say in those circumstances Like good Shabbos, not so appropriate so they kind of said like, hi he says, hello So Naftali said, my father, the Rebbe misses you He, he sent us to find you so he said, okay, tell him you found me he blows another cloud of smoke at him and it's there so they didn't know what to do, they come back to the shul the Rebbe's waiting, he said, you found him? he said, yeah he says, no He said, what can we say? He he was smoking on Shabbos. I said, no, he wasn't. (laughs) We looked at each other. (laughs) No, really, he he was smoking on Shabbos. He said, he was not smoking on Shabbos. I said, it's two of us. We're two witnesses. We saw him smoke. He blew smoke in our face. He was smoking on Shabbos. He said, he was not smoking on Shabbos. Was, wasn't, the Rebbe said, you don't understand. He was not smoking on Shabbos. He said, it was the Deutsch. He said, the Germans. The Germans were smoking on Shabbos. Taking that forward many years later, Bobov was already a big Hasidus centered in Brooklyn. The Rebbe was a very old man. One day after Shachar's, another older gentleman pushes his way forward, comes over to the Rebbe, says, Rebbe, you remember me? I used to be chazan for a couple of Shabbos in your shtibel in Manhattan. He says, I remember you. He says, I have a grandchild getting married tonight. I want you to be Masada Kedushin. He said, listen, I'm old, I'm weak, I don't do Siddur Kedushin even in my own family, but tell me where there's a Sheva Brachas and I'll come. So he told him, and he told his son of Naftali, he says, I want you to come with me to a special Shev bruches. They came into the home, and it was clear that the man, children, grandchildren, were all keeping Torah and mitzvahs. He said to his son, you see what I told you? He wasn't smoking on Shabbos. It was the Germans. That's the way Tzadikim look at a Jew. That's the way they see, and that look brings it out. Now, again, it doesn't mean to be patronizing to a person, right? It doesn't mean come over to somebody in the street say, Hi, you want to put on tefillin? No, actually, I don't. <laughs> you just think you don't. I know you really want to put on tefillin because I know it's in your soul. right? This can get a person somewhat upset, right? It's, it's not something which is there to do. But, right, in terms of deep inside and in terms of you and in terms of how we see these things, this is something that a person has to remember that this is true and this is the truth and this is the way we have to see ourselves and the way we have to see others. The story of Yitzhi Yitzhi comes to show us hope where a person would think there's no hope. And to know that it's based on the future that is real. The fact that B'nai Yisrael had in themselves then the Kabbalah Sator that they would be doing shows the fact that HaKadosh Baruch counts their future toward their present because that present is so real that every good thing that's going to be happening in the future comes from it. Okay, so that's the world of these things. And so it will be in our Gullah Siddhis We will look and say, come on, HaKadosh Baruch is going to bring the Geula in this generation. Who are we? What are we? Compared to other greater generations that the Geula didn't come in. He says, you have no idea what can happen because all the ingredients are there deep inside of us. And when a will do what has to be done and gives the opportunity, so the Pesach says, just as when you left Mitzrayim, I will show you wonders, just as those wonders happened then, they can happen with us as well. And that's why we can't forget yes Mitzrayim.